0: Hi there, and welcome to RCR's In The Room With, our new video podcast talking to entertainment professionals about their careers and what they've learned along the way. I'm Stephanie Pache, editor and publisher of RCR News Media, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Jordan Aquino, who's an actor and host of New Mexico Women in Film Ready, Set, Film, New Mexico digital video series. Today, we're fortunate to be speaking with the multi-hyphenate A.J. Tesler, who's going to share um, his wisdom with us from being a comedian to having a film festival, well, a TV festival, and his own personal journey with a new documentary he has out.
1: So. Uh, yeah, nice to nice to be here. Thank you guys so much for, for having me. And uh, um, I understand there's almost a thousand questions, so... <laughs>
0: Well, let's get started. Jordan.
2: (laughs) Yes. Number one. Um, So, as Stephanie mentioned, you are a multi-hyphenate, talented professional, um, a producer, a writer, a director, an actor. Where did your career begin? And um, tell us about your path to becoming this multi-talented, multi-hyphenate person in the film industry. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh boy. Um, all very nice platitudes uh, that uh, you know I think most of it is stumbling forward. but the um, I started out studying acting and wanting to be an actor. and when I got to Los Angeles um, after bouncing around in some major cities before then, um, I started auditioning and doing kind of role here or there. And as I was sitting on set, uh, or rather sitting in, in, a, in a trailer, and that sounds fancy, but the truth is that no matter what your part is, they give you a trailer um, when you're working on like a real television show. Uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm there for 11 hours and I think my line was, hello. <laughs> and I was 24 at the time and just could not believe what an incredible waste of time it was. <laughs> um and so in when you're acting, you have more downtime than in any other parts of this profession, especially when you're just getting started. So I was also writing. Um, and then we were also making our own things and doing whatever we could to, to just stay creative. Um and we wrote a bunch of television pilots and realized very quickly that we didn't have any way to get it to anybody and didn't even know how to or who to call. Um, and so we also owned a nice camera, which at the time was I think a, a GL-2 shot on DV tape. And that was considered nice, um, to give it an idea of how old I am. And uh, we, we decided to film it. And so we shot two pilots for I think $2,000 total. Um, and then we realized, well, we have these pilots. Now we still don't know how to get it to anybody but in our minds, we thought that it would be easier for people to uh, to watch a 30-minute show than it would be for them to read something from a person they didn't know. Uh, and then we thought that we couldn't be the only people with that thought. So because I had all this downtime and had this experience of feeling lost without knowing what to do, we launched the independent television festival, which was, I think our first festival was 2006. I sent out an email in 2005 that said, hey, I'm starting a festival, sent it to 400 people, explained what the festival was. By the time the festival launched in the uh, summer of 2006, that uh, that email list had ballooned to almost 4,000. And, um, we uh, we had submissions from all over the country. We had people flying in from all over the country, um, and created this space for people who wanted to get involved in the television space, um, but didn't know how. Just an entry in, and just introductions. And our panelists were all working television writers and television casting directors, and so on and so forth. And it, there's one other festival in the world at the time uh, that. Was focused on television we were focused on television and new media at the same time and i think that youtube launched a few months before our first festival so and that other festival no longer exists so the independent television festival which is now called catalyst content festival is the longest running television and new media festival in the world and or the longest concurrent running you know i want to make sure that i get all my qualifiers in just in case I get angry emails after this, but the, uh, and I think that the the thing that I learned from all of that from acting, from uh, making your own show, from deciding to make your own festival was just that there is no path that somebody is going to create or share with you. Like, you have to make the things that you wanna make and You have to put yourself out there and put your art out there and put your work out there and put your work ethic out there and from there you hope that the chips fall in a favorable place and if they don't sometimes it's because the work isn't that good (laughs) that's okay um as and i know stephanie mentioned that i was a comedian this is a prime example of the work not being that good was not a good comedian which is why I am no longer a comedian and don't consider myself that at all. I work in comedy because I know comedians, but not because I'm a comedian anymore. Um, And so I tried that. I put that out there. Nobody wanted to see me and (laughs) told me (laughs) it was time to move on. Um, And so after putting together that festival, I realized that really what I was doing was producing. I didn't even know what a producer was, but Produ- what I learned was producing is being the guy that can inspire people to bring people together and to get people together, to come and make something that's insane and that doesn't make any sense and that nobody understands why you're doing it. Um, and so, uh, and that's what putting on this event was. I was bringing people from all over the country. I was bringing executives and, uh, and professionals in the television space into uh, these three tiny theaters in, in Los Angeles. Somehow, Biz Marquee was the DJ at our at our opening night party. There were a thousand people there. Uh, the Budweiser was just pouring free drinks for everybody. It was very much a exercise in how do you what do you need, and let's figure out how we get it there. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what producing was. So from there, I um, any of my friends who were doing shows or who had these other experiences, they would call me because I was the guy who could put things together huh. so from there I was producing and I produced early web series stuff and um, for studios and early television stuff and that you know that, whatever that low budget section was that was that was where I fell in. Um, and from there I just built relationships and built relationships and you know I think that anybody getting started um, the key thing is that whoever you're working with it's never about this job It's always about making sure you do the best job so that all of the people that you're working with on the next job, they think of you and want you to come and work on this one too. And that's how you, at least from my experience, any of my friends have built a career. That's amazing. Oh, go ahead,
2: Stephanie, sorry. No, no, that's right, go ahead. Oh, yeah, for the longest time, I tried to define what a producer was. Mm James, you have hit the nail on the head. You wear a lot of hats and you connect people, that's.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the hard part is there's a bunch of different definitions of a producer. And certainly a line producer is the one who actually makes the phone calls. And a producer is the one who gathers all of the things, who makes sure that the team is the right team for this particular job. And an executive producer is the person who brings the value to the sh- to the project, whether that's the money, the idea, the IP, the talent, whatever it is and that's kind of the simplest way to explain it although I will say that on Twitter there was a uh, there was a prompt for explain explain what you do in the most confusing way possible and I just said I'm a producer so uh, I get it it's uh, and I think that just because there's so many different definitions and writers get producer credit because they're coming up with all the ideas like there's a uh, there's there's wide confusion um, and I I just, uh, my version of it is, I'm the guy who gets things done.
0: So in your career, AJ, what are some of the projects that gave you the biggest headache and some that didn't give you that headache?
1: Um, I'm going to put on (laughs) my headphones as my, uh, I feel like kids are going to get yelled at pretty soon. So Uh Um, the... Um. Hmm. And that also gets, buys me time to think about what my right. problem projects were and what the exactly uh,
0: buying uh, your time.
1: Yes. So, um, I would say. You can hear me, okay? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're good. I would say that. Um. The projects that caused me some. It, it, a lot of it is expectations are what causes me the the, the biggest headaches that I'm gonna deliver at the highest level that I possibly can. And I'm gonna deliver at the highest budget value that I can give you. Um, but uh, as long as the expectations are appropriate. So for example, the one of the first projects I did, I had to do a 10 episode series for $20,000, um, which today sounds impossible. And then I was too dumb to know that it was impossible. <laughs> So for me, it was um, uh, as long as everybody knew that like this is what we're this is what we're doing, and we could all be on the same team about it. It was going to work out great, and we had a plan for how we could execute for those dollars and and make something really fun and really good. Um, but the second that somebody comes in and says, "But I thought this was all taking place on on a blimp," <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> We can't, we, we can't do that. Right. And so, you know, I think that for me, as long as I keep expectations appropriately low, that I'm gonna over deliver. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think that the, the projects in particular, I just finished a documentary called Magnolia's Hope. That one was incredibly difficult to do because it was a documentary about my own personal experience and my own personal family. My daughter has a rare disease called Rett syndrome and so, making that documentary was really trying. It was just hard um, emotionally. Um, that said, you know there are there are projects that I've done with major celebrities that have been very easy. There are projects that I've done with um, with with people who have never worked before that have been very hard. And and it always falls down to expectations. The this when you're working with something and. I did a movie in uh, Louisiana a couple of years ago for an, a TV network called TV one that was trying um, because everybody had a different idea of what the movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting everybody on the same team is so important to making sure that you have success. Um, and I think that you'll, you see it whenever you watch anything, you know, it's, there's something off about this. That person feels like they're in a different movie or why, or or why is that coffee cup in the background of this Game of Thrones scene? It's everybody has to be in the same mindset about what you're making so that you can actually deliver on the highest level you can.
0: Good point. So how about platforms? Because you've worked on different platforms from you know, digital, you know, YouTube kind of to Netflix and others. So um, how's it working? Um, which is your favorite and how's it working with Netflix?
1: Hmm. Um, Netflix, <laughs> Netflix is good. Um, I like working with Netflix. I like working with Netflix because obviously, you know, you get, an, you get the dollars to make the project that you want to make. Um, and, uh, and, they're, and they're good creative partners too. You know, I've never had a problem with, with, with any of the projects that I've done with them. And I've done, uh, I've done a couple now. Um, but, uh, like every platform has its own value. Um, I've done shows for Go90, which doesn't exist. I've done shows for CISO, which doesn't exist. I've done shows for a lot of platforms that no longer exist. Um, and I'm working on shows for platforms that don't yet exist. So it, I think that it, uh, it's fun to let the, the content dictate it. Ultimately, when you go through all the time and energy and effort of making something, the thing that you want the most is the most amount of people to watch it and enjoy it um and so when that's the other reason why Netflix is great is because you know that people are watching it and if you and and when somebody goes oh I didn't know you did that you can say hey you can watch it on Netflix right now Mm -hmm. whereas when I talk about the documentary I did on the Tonight Show they go oh that's incredible where where can I see it well (laughs) it was on CISO (laughs) and now it's on Hulu and now it's not anywhere because that license agreement went ran out you know that's Mm -hmm. just it's a bummer because then where does that exist in the digital space you know at least when you were making something 20 years ago it would exist as a dvd that you could sell after the fact um and so i am uh and then you know obviously youtube instagram uh igtv facebook all of these things they all allow you the opportunity to really make things um for your own personal audience um, which I think is really cool. And it's really cool to develop your own personal audience too. It's really, it's, it's really interesting, um, experience. And I have worked with a bunch of top YouTubers and helped them develop their audience and, and develop their content so that they could, uh, uh, they could continue to build, um, and, and the, the, the new series that I'm releasing called destination nowhere, which is a. Docu series we're going to release on our own YouTube channel called Magnolia's Hope, um, and so the trailer for that will be out uh, next week sometime. Um, it's February in the beginning of February 2021 for whenever anybody finds this video. Okay, <laughs> um, okay, uh, but yeah, so it's a. Um, it, it I think that platform is important to think of when you're thinking of where you want something to be and what the right platform is just as which cable station you want your show to be on or whatever it is, uh, matters. Like you can't, you can't have a, a show about a talking cat and go, um, well, this is only going to be on spike TV or whatever the equivalent of that is now, you know, there's, you gotta, you gotta recognize where the audience is that you want and, and, and use all of the tools that you have, which includes the uh, uh, which includes the platform as well.
2: I have to ask, what was it like making historical roasts? I particularly enjoyed the Nikki Glaser episode, the Kurt Cobain one. <laughs> I have to she know, what was that like?
1: Um, everybody was, it was incredible to work on, incredible to do. Um, it was you know being able to work with all those great people and uh, bring that show to life so it was originally a a live show in um, it was originally a live show in Los Angeles that I had found and developed it into a television show and attached Jeff Ross to it and so it was just fun seeing kind of what it originally started as in or and and then what built into like that was really fun
2: Um, A lot of our viewers I think will be uh, New Mexico actors and content creators, filmmakers. So can you talk a little bit about the process going from like the conception, the idea to, okay, now we have to make this thing and where do we put it? Like, What advice do you have for uh, new filmmakers?
1: Um, So I think new filmmakers, my my advice always is the same, which is A, just go out and make it, just go do it. it doesn't do you any good for it to sit on your computer. Um, It doesn't do you any good for you to be afraid of sharing it because somebody might steal it. Nobody will ever do the idea exactly the way that you're going to do it with in the exact same way. So whatever you do is going to be different from what the person sitting right next to you would do. Um, Now you're, you're not going to make a million dollars from your first, from your first project, you're not gonna make a million dollars from your second project. But the only way you're gonna to get to that third project where you're also not gonna make a million dollars yeah. is by, um, the only way you're gonna do that is by continuing to make stuff and putting it out there. If you can build an audience and you can engage with your audience, engagement is such a key factor for online audience and building an audience retention is how do you keep them once they're there? Um, that's something that I can't. I I don't know the answer to that. If if I did, then I would also have a million subscribers. Now I can, um, I can help people once they've figured it out of how they manage that. But the truth is that like everybody understands how they communicate with their audience and what they need to do in order to to grow their audience. Um. And and you have to you have to listen to your audience too, especially if you're putting stuff out there online and. Most beginning filmmakers are going to do that. They're going to start by putting stuff out there online, by getting things to, uh, you know, starting with friends and family, asking people to share, getting people involved. It's really about like you can't be afraid to ask. You got to ask for help. I mean, that's how I ended up here. Stephanie reached out to me. I haven't talked to Stephanie in ten years, and uh, and I was like, yeah, of course. You know, it's I'm I'm always happy to help and always happy to talk and um and I um and always happy to to kind of share my experiences and hopes that it helps somebody else have uh, have a better experience with it than I did. Um, It's a, uh, but so step one, do it. Step two, finish it. Step three, get it out there, unless it's terrible. If it's terrible, listen to the people around you. Um, It doesn't help you to share it if it's terrible.
2: Got it, noted, okay. What was it like developing? Um, you said that you worked with different content creators on YouTube. What kind of projects were they uh, working on? Were they like episodic things, or more kind of vlogging, or?
1: So I've worked with a bunch of YouTubers over the course of my career. Um, one of the early channels that um, that I helped launch was called Bamo, which was uh, Mister Guitar Man and Daystorm and. Mike Diva and Tayson Day and Corridor Digital and it was a collab channel from back in the day when YouTube was really just starting to explode. Um, and so we did a collaboration channel where kind of we were all working together and making all this different content together and uh, figuring out like how all of these disparate pieces work together. And also a lot of it for me was training people how to make uh, YouTube videos and sorry, not how to make, they knew how to make YouTube videos, but how to make, how to scale their video production um, and so, and then I went on and continued to do that and continue to collaborate with a bunch of YouTubers. As I went to Jash, where I was running Sarah Silverman's digital studio, um, and getting YouTubers to help promote and help be involved in some of that content, which was kind of like more sketches and, and, and music videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then I also work with Mr. Kate who does a lifestyle channel where she's doing. Uh, home renovations and, and room renovations for anywhere from major YouTubers to individual people for $300 and, and figuring out like, how do you make that kind of content and how do you make a reality series for YouTube dollars? And uh, cause you're trying to keep costs down so that uh, until you build that audience. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of different kinds of people and really the basic of it uh, has always been, how do I, how do I help them scale their production? Because it's hard to make videos for YouTube. Uh, you know, I often talk about the difference between success in film versus TV versus YouTube. And it, to be successful in film, you need one hit a year. To be successful in television, you need 13 successful hits a year. And to be successful in uh, YouTube is you need 52 successful videos a year. And that uh, just gives you an indication of how much extra work it is to be successful on YouTube. Um, the benefit is obviously that you're, you're the master of your own future. Uh, you don't have to hope that the network doesn't cancel um, or that the studio decides to shelf your movie or whatever it is, you you have total control, but the amount of work you have to put in is is no joke. And, and I think that people forget about that and, and they just hear these stories of all these millionaires driving driving Lamborghinis because they did a, a prank of their, of their girlfriend's father or whatever it is. And, uh, and that's true, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is that people on YouTube are working extremely hard in order to make sure that their content is delivered on a schedule regularly at a high level in order to uh, can keep their audience engaged. And not only that, but they have to listen to their audience. So they're, you know, they do an app, they can't do twelve in a row and then sit and wait. They do two or three, and then see what the audience has to say about it and change it accordingly. It's a constant fight of having um, market research just telling you immediately, this one, this one ain't it, dog, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, uh, it's, it's certainly not easy, but, uh, and especially when you want to be talent, you know, you don't want to also be producer and also be marketer and also be all these things. But on the internet, that kind of is what the job is. Is you get you have to be all of those things. You have to be the producer. Your, your boyfriend's holding the camera. Your uh, your girlfriend is the sound mixer. It's just all um, all in the family until it's not. And um, and when it's not, that's typically when I get involved and I help them kind of get to that next stage where they can just show up and be talent more often than not. That there's a little bit more of a um, of separation between doing all of the work and having to do just most of it
2: yeah i have friends who i coach actors and one of my clients is a big youtuber
1: mm-hmm.
2: of subscribers and the amount of work that she does to create the content on the schedule that she has it's just like it's it's incredible it really is so.
1: yeah yeah i mean I, I i think that people who work on those platforms they get uh People think of it as a pejoratively, um, because it's not TV and it's not film. And, you know, I think that 30 years ago, people felt the same, film actors felt the same way about TV as TV actors do now about YouTube. And right. um, I don't know that YouTube is going away anywhere. It's still yep. the second largest search engine in the world. You know, if yep. uh, if you want, if, if anybody wants to learn anything, um, that's uh, that's the first place to go Mm -hmm. so
0: So tell us um about magnolia's hope um as you mentioned earlier it was very personal and it's a personal journey for your family um let us in as you're comfortable and and share more about that
1: yeah well um, so my daughter has Rett syndrome, which is a rare neurological disorder, it affects mostly girls, sometimes boys. They started developing typically, and then by the time they turn three, um, they've lost a lot of the things that they've learned how to do. Hand use, walking, talking, um, many of them will have seizures and GI problems, so on and so forth. It's pretty awful. Um, but so like any good father, I started filming her when she was born, and I had all of this footage of of our experience of watching her progress in this disorder and watching her lose these skills and regain some and so on and so forth. And, um, but there's not a story out there that really expounds on, um, on the personal experience of Rett syndrome. And so I um, I just needed to share it. And so she got into a clinical trial when she was, uh, six. And that's when we decided that we were actually going to make this into a documentary. And so I picked up my fancy camera, not a GL2 anymore. Um, and I, uh, and we we went and we actually really focused on making this a, a thing. And the hope was that we were going to, um, we were going to have the story of the diagnosis all the way through the, um, this clinical trial. And the clinical trial was going to be miraculous and she was going to be cured at the end of it. And then, oh my gosh, what an incredible movie this would make. Um, Fortunately, that's not what happened with the clinical trial. And so really the movie kind of got shelved for a little bit because I didn't have an ending. I didn't know what the rest of the story was. And um, my wife um, came downstairs and said, uh, you know, two summers ago, I said, we really have to finish this documentary. We got to figure out what the end of this movie is. Um, and we started talking about it and thinking about it and developed it into kind of really what our process was of grieving and how we got through all of the grief of losing losing our daughter to this, uh, or, you know, losing our daughter, or the dreams we would have for our daughter to this to, to this disorder um, and uh, into kind of acceptance and ultimately what we do with it. And, and what we ended up doing with it is um, we followed her, our daughter's lead, and she is somebody who, in spite of all of the shortcomings that the disease causes, is somebody who just wants to live and wanted to live life as, as loudly as she could, um, considering that she is nonverbal. Um, and so, uh, sh- we started taking her surfing and skiing and just really trying to make every experience count. Um. And so we've called, we started calling them all adventures and that's essentially what mm-hmm. they've been. And um, and we released it in December uh, to a limited audience. And uh, we're trying to figure out kind of what the next step is for distribution. Um, I know that it will be a useful educational tool mm-hmm. for anybody who works with uh, kids with complex disorders and also with anybody who might be diagnosed with a complex disorder to understand kind of what, what your path might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the continuation of that is this docu-series where the grand adventure of uh getting in an rv and, and leaving town and driving all the way across the country we took 45 days to drive across the country and film the entire thing and uh and and kind of what our experience was of adapting our this entire camp this entire excursion um for our daughter um so that she could make some memories out of uh, out of a year where everybody else was was fully locked into their house and Um, you know, and and it, it wasn't without thought of the safety precautions that were necessary. It was the safety precautions that were necessary because in spite of, uh, in spite of whatever the lockdown orders were in Los Angeles at the time, we just saw the writing on the wall and we knew that it was only going to get worse. And we knew that the only way that we could really keep her fully safe, and we needed to really avoid her getting anywhere near this, this, this disease, because uh, she has her own respiratory issues as a result of Rett syndrome, that um, that in order to keep her fully safe, we had to make sure that it wasn't just uh, keeping keeping masks on and not leaving our house, but it was staying 20 feet, 100 feet away from anybody else. And so... Um, we didn't do a lot of campgrounds. We did a lot of parked on federal lands and uh, in the middle of nowhere and had the time of our lives and excited to share that with everybody. It's on youtube.com slash Hope, uh, um, And you can catch the trailer for the movie there. And um, our blog is magnoliashope.com. And if you follow there, then as the when the movie has a new release, um, we'll be able to share it there. Ultimately, it'll... Ultimately, it'll probably be on uh, um, all of the major platforms too. But uh, you know, that's still always a way as we figure out how we else, how else we can get it out there.
0: Well, we'll um, track that and be sure to um, share that information as it comes out. Thank you. Um, as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Jordan has an, another question for you.
2: Oh, I mean, I, I don't, don't know if a
1: thousand yet.
2: What was the, the response like when you first released the film? I I have to say, I, I didn't know what Brett's Syndrome was until I, I was researching you. And I have to say, your daughter, she seems like a brilliant little girl. And you seem like wonderful parents. And um, it, it must be such an incredible gift to be able to create a film talking about something that I think so many of us don't know about and for your audience who can really understand what you went through it must be what was the response like from the audience yeah
1: it's it's certainly a real labor of love and the audience has you know people have seen it have been very complimentary and I think that it it hits the notes the way that we would hope where we it is not an easy watch but it also is an uplifting and inspiring watch we hope um that the idea isn't to make people sad or pity our daughter or our family, but rather to celebrate in what's possible, to become aware of this thing and to help if you can. Um, because it's we've seen the sad movie about these disorders. We've all seen that and that's not what our life is and that's not what her life is. So yeah, the disorder is sad and it's tragic and it's awful but there's a way to, to live through it. And the other thing is that Rett syndrome has been proven in the lab to be totally reversible. So, oh, wow. so and it's progressive, not degenerative. So the f- faster that we can actually raise dollars in order to make a change in her life, the, the more of these kinds of memories and experiences uh, become just a fabric of part of her fabric instead of, uh, instead of just another part of the difficulties.
2: Mm-hmm. well I'm really looking forward to seeing it when you release it again and I'm gonna to have to check out your series. if you uh are across the country what has that experience been like for you uh
1: it was amazing I mean I'm not an RVer I'm not a camper <laughs> at least I wasn't before this um it was kind of out of necessity we uh we, we couldn't stay in our house um and so we um and not like I Nobody wants to stay in their house, and nobody wanted nobody wanted to. But just the nature of where our house was and what our experience was, and 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 how the kind of risks that we knew that we were going to have to start taking on in Los Angeles, it just it wasn't going to make sense. And we really had to make sure that Maggie was safe. So um, the uh, so we we got in this RV and just decided, uh, let's see what happens. And and that was. That was kind of the mantra of the entire time. So I don't know how to do this, but we can figure it out. You know, this is how, how. Um, other people do this, uh, and so uh, it was amazing. I mean, just to be able to, especially like in the height of the summer when when everybody is locked down and not able to do anything, and here we are just out in the middle of Oregon, um, and we're in the the shade of the of the of the sequoia trees without anybody around us and my kids are running every, every <laughs> direction I mean it, that that was so much uh, medicine for our souls that uh, I'm very excited to share it because I, I really think that it'll be medicine for other people's souls too as as they kind of get to experience being out and and I hope that it drives people to get outdoors a little bit as well because you can be safe outdoors as long as you're keep your distance from people and um, and I think that especially in LA it's it's it was so stifling and has gotten more stifling that people are, are having a really hard time um, even recognizing that th- there, there are parts of the world where you're not so impacted and there aren't people everywhere. So mm-hmm. I hope that that's the, that's the impact of, of, of the series and uh, I'm excited to share it with people and hope that, uh, that they have that same experience.
0: Did you have a favorite adventure um, place that you toured to in those 45 days?
1: Um, so we went through the North and, and what we really tried to do was have a different experience everywhere we went. And mm-hmm. so there were so many great ones. Um, South Dakota was surprisingly amazing. No offense to anybody in your audience is from South Dakota. <laughs> um, but uh, we did the Badlands. We were at a farm with a, that, were, uh, that had a pet deer. Uh, we milked sheep. In uh, in north in the northwest, we kayaked in Coeur d'Alene at an alpaca farm. Um, we picked our own fresh apples in in Michigan. We uh, hiked through the Porcupine Mountains. I mean, it was just wow. every single thing um, was its own new uh, new experience for the kids and in its own ex- ex- exciting experience too. Wow, that sounds
2: like a lot of fun.
1: It. It was. It was a lot of fun and just being, you know, being able to give our kids that kind of experience, um, especially we knew that they weren't going to, we weren't going to be able to send them back to school no matter what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that work was shut down for the foreseeable future. So there was not a lot of reason to keep us in Los Angeles. Um, And so this was, this was what we, we thought that we had to do in order to, to kind of as I say in the in the docuseries to turn lemonade out of global pandemics so
0: (laughs) that's a miraculous thing to do for sure (laughs) oh my gosh so um anyway do you have any other projects in the works outside of your uh web series that you have on
1: Hmm. I, I also got a chance to direct a movie that we finished during the pandemic so um our, we had, I think, reshoots uh, Super Bowl weekend last year, which was like mid-February, early February. And then um, about a month later, everything shut down, but we were able to finish all the posts. Um, it stars Mir Servino and Sean Astin. It's called Hero Mode. Um, and I think that it should be coming out sometime this spring. Um, we've got a distributor attached and uh, just a really fun family movie you can watch with with kids of any age. Um, right. no sex, no violence, super boring, but, <laughs> um, it's an exciting movie about video game development and just, you know, there's a lot of great comedians in it. Um, a, a lot of Marilyn Rice Cubs in it, Eric Griffin, Bobby Lee, Al Madrigal, you know, just a, a ton of great, hilarious people in it. And, uh, uh I'm really excited for people to see it.
0: Great. Well, we'll watch out for that and share it for sure, as
1: awesome, well. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, Jordan, any other questions for AJ? So we can, yeah, get some more wisdom imparted because I think he has about nine hundred and ninety-four oh, yeah. more questions.
2: Yeah, we can <laughs> skip some of them. Yeah, I'm interested to hear. So you you wrapped shooting or picked up shooting like right as COVID was of shutting everything down so what was it like going through post were you still in la at that point or were you i was
1: i was still in la um i I ended up doing a little remote working um but what we ended up doing is the we were able to finish the edit before lockdown which Mm -hmm. was fortunate because that would have been the hardest one to do remotely and then after that it just went into vfx and they would send us things and we would basically use a telestrator and circle them uh, on. We would be using Zoom and be showing us clips and we go, yeah, this is good. Or uh, annotate this and then circle this and uh, you know uh, give them notes that way. Sound mix was obviously very complicated, um, but what we ended up doing is uh, they, they did a full clean of the, of the sound mix house and it ended up being, me and the sound mixer sitting six feet apart, or 10 feet apart, were facing opposite directions. And um, according to CDC guidelines, felt relatively safe, um, especially at the time when the numbers weren't so high. And then uh, the producers would come in the next day and do the same thing. And we just all couldn't be in the same room because we couldn't have that kind of crowd in the same room. and then uh, that was kind of how it all shook out. It was uh, every step we had to kind of figure out like, how do we do this remotely? Nobody had ever done these things remotely, especially not at this budget range before. And so it was it, it, was, a, it was a fun experiment to try to figure out. I think we did a, a really good job. I think we made a really fun movie and, um, and everybody did you know, we're lucky that we worked with really competent people who didn't need handholding and could really do it with, uh, without a lot of uh, eyes on experience.
2: Wow, yeah, I've only ever been on one set since COVID with all of the precautions and filmmaking is very, it's very different these days. Do you have any insight or thoughts about how you see filmmaking changing going forward?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I I don't think that this is going to be the way this works forever. I think that eventually the, what we'll get back to some semblance of normal filmmaking, but until then, I think that everybody has a responsibility to make sure that everybody that they're working with is safe. Um, and it's so hard in this business where it's hard, hard enough to get a job and then once you get a job, if you have to leave because you think you might be sick or because you've got the sniffles, it seems absurd. But if you're the guy, I will say this to anybody who's watching, if you're the person who gets everybody else sick, then you're never getting another job. So don't be that person. Um, it's, and you know everybody has their own different opinions about the severity of this thing. Um, and I think that if people just think about what the worst case scenario is, like for me, I have a daughter and if she got sick, it would be very dangerous. So for me to be on a set without pe- with people skirting the rules, it's just not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, I think that in a year, things will be more or less back to normal. Um, with filmmaking. I think that none of these things that we're doing are things that anybody likes. Nobody likes getting temperature checked. Nobody likes bubble uh, accommodations. Nobody likes uh, any of it. Um, It's expensive, which is why the only things that we're really going to be able to see over the next year or so are people who are breaking the rules or people who are spending all of the money that they can in order to make sure there aren't any broken rules. Um, And I think And look, there's a middle ground too, right? There are people who are just going, okay, look, there's 10 of us, we're all close. We're all gonna get this one house and we're all gonna live in this one house and we're just gonna film together and we'll be able to make something. And that's fine too, you know? Um, So I think that over the next year, we're gonna see a lot of content that's very much driven by the restrictions that single locations, small casts, or these big budget things that don't matter um kind of that middle ground of uh high-end actors actresses in multiple locations with you're not going to see any movies except for mine which shot before it with a giant (laughs) with a giant crowd you know those those types of things like everybody's kind of have to figure out like we're not doing a shoot with 250 extras so how do we do it and get the same thing or do we just wait until six months later and make this later i think that you're probably going to see a lot of smaller things that are really driven by the restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, it's the distribution has changed so dramatically that uh, there aren't, there isn't that theatrical window right now. Whether or not that stays is going to be interesting too. I mean, I think that the theaters are going to have to figure out a way to stay open. I heard somebody pitch on the idea of like, why don't they release Mandalorian weekly? I mean, wouldn't... <laughs> The audience from Mandalorian would probably love to go see see it in a theater and have that shared experience when things open up. But for the time being, you know, you've got your day and date stuff that's opening at the same time on streaming as it is online and I, uh, that is in theaters. And I think that there are some instances where that's going to work great. And there's some instances that, that it won't. I think that you're probably going to start seeing these giant blockbusters do it and do it successfully. You know, I imagine like an Avengers movie can do it because people are going to be excited to watch the next avengers movie whereas like you know three bridges over evelyn missouri is going to have a much harder time opening day and date because uh I'm, i don't I'm, i can't imagine a lot of people are going to want to spend 20 dollars to rent um, but then on top of that i think that after this those avenger movies are still going to be the ones that are going to drive the audiences to the theaters mm-hmm. um because you're going to you, you wanna have that shared experience again. You wanna know what it's like to root for the good guys. And uh, so it, it, it'll, be, it'll be different. Um, I think that the ease that day and date has proven that the amount of money that a movie like Trolls made, I think is gonna give everybody the indication that like, well, if this is the right movie, we can do it this way and do really well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are gonna swing and miss. There are gonna be some people who swing and hit home runs. And they're going to use both of those data points to decide that it it that it really works, <laughs> and they'll be wrong for fifty percent of the movies. Um, and uh, and we'll continue to kind of find different ways to do it. The movie that I when it, we released our documentary was a one time rental; you can watch anytime during this month. You know, there's there's I think alternative ways of distribution that'll be propping up as a result of all this. That might even stick around.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that was my fear at the beginning of this, especially for independent filmmakers or up and coming filmmakers. Were all of those movies and projects just going to be shelved until we're done with the pandemic? Or were they just going to yeah. go away? Um, so, that being said, do you have any advice for um, independent filmmakers or up and coming people at the beginning of their career? what can they be doing with this time? Are there more opportunities for them to be in writers rooms or uh, learning how to pitch or who to pitch to? Are there Mm -hmm. any new opportunities because of uh, COVID?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, you don't have to be anywhere at this point. You can be, um, all the writers rooms are Zoom. All of the um, development is happening over Zoom. So, you know, if you can get access to anybody, then you can pitch to them from wherever you are. You don't have to fly into LA to make it happen. And I think that that's really valuable. And I think that things continue, like there's still, you know, so many of the stories that we see are so similar and hom- homogenic because they're all people who can afford to move to Los Angeles and and work and aspire and and dream and Not everybody has that opportunity, but now because we've all learned that we can do things from all over the world at the same time that I think will open up to a lot more uh, voices from around the country and around the world, Um, which I think is a good thing. Ultimately, I think that it'll be good for what we get entertained by and won't feel like everything is the same story all over and over again. so yeah, absolutely. You can definitely get more people involved. Um, you can definitely take the time now to write, um, have your projects ready to go, um, you know, and, and learn, learn everything you can. I've picked up the ukulele. I know how to <laughs> RV now. Um, I, I, I'm, I have a 3D printer. I'm learning how to code. You've got time. Right. So it, it is very much um, take, take the time that you have, assume that it's gonna last forever, Mm -hmm. So that you're not just like, oh, it's just another week. I'll just wait and then things will be back. Get it done now because there is no time better to start than right before the time you thought it was time to start. So um, if you get going now, then by the time that you're done, however long that takes, maybe things will be different. But if they're not and they're the same, then you're prepared.
2: Right. Right. Are there any books or mentors that you have that um, you'd recommend filmmakers or writers to, to look up in their free time? Anything you suggest?
1: Oh, uh, boy. Um, I am a person who um, believes the more you can read about other people's stories, the less you're going to be writing your own. So... Um, and that is not necessarily a widespread thought. You know, I think a lot of people believe that the more you read, the more you learn, the better you'll be. Um, I would say read other scripts. If you're a writer, read other scripts about mov- that are movies like what you wanna make, read how to do those, read you know, all of the different things you can in that. There's um, all kinds of different websites and places you can download famous movies or you can download up and coming movies and read them. Um, I think that reading, um, reading about other people's stories and journeys to me has always been just kind of frustrating because there's just like Peter Sellers's book is one that I read in college and it's about a guy who started as a, or maybe it was Peter Gruber. I confuse them because both their <laughs> names are Peter. Um, I think it's Peter Gruber who became this major gigantic producer, but he started out as a beauty producer so
0: hairdresser um, right
1: hairdresser and then he moved to right. los angeles and he was a hairdresser for celebrities and then he became right. a giant producer like i don't understand how that's helpful for me to understand like
0: right wild wild west with the uh, um will smith he produced that yeah <laughs> that was his first big thing and that and prior to that he was a hairdresser
1: right so you know like make your own story write your own story <laughs> write your own path because the only thing that taught me, and maybe that's because it's the lat that it may have been the last book that I read on about Hollywood, is that there's no way to do this. There's no right way to do it. That don't sit around and wait. That go off and do your thing and make your thing and 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 be good to people. And if you're good to people and you're making your thing, then those people are going to help you. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly wow
2: that's that oh, go ahead jordan <laughs> no it's just it's incredible insight and what i keep finding the more successful directors or actors creatives that i talk to they all, they say the same thing just go out and do it be nice to people and there isn't a, a there's no this is you do this you do this you do this then you're successful it doesn't seem to work that way for anyone I, found-
1: I, I, I wish it did. We all wish it did. I, all, <laughs> I wish I could be like, look, here's a phone number, write this down, <laughs> call this number in the morning. There's a Hollywood job for you. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in any industry either. And I think that we get wrapped up in the idea that this is a creative business. And so like, how do I get in?
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: don't, you there, that doesn't, that's the same in any business. How do you get in? What's that first job? There are entry-level positions whatever path you want to take. If you want to be in the production, you can start as a PA almost anywhere. All you need to do is say, hey, I'm available. And the truth is, that's enough for most people looking to hire a PA. If you want to start as a writer, then you got to find how can it be a writer's PA. Those are a little bit harder to come by because they're coveted positions, because they know that there's there's a path to meet writers. Once you meet writers, you get a chance to write with writers. Once you're writing with writers, you get a chance to be a writer. Same goes as a PA. Once you're a PA, you are working on a set, you're learning how production works, you're learning from a producer, you're good at it, you get hired to do key PA work. Once you're a key PA, you get hired to do a production coordinator work. There is upward mobility in all of these things, but if you want to be a creative, the only thing you can do is create. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's
2: great advice. It's just really... Wonderful to keep hearing all of these interesting and uh, successful people saying the same thing that there is no way to do it. Just go out and you do it, and you have a good attitude, and just go be creative. So I, I love that. Um, do you have any projects coming up? Anything on the horizon?
1: Um, no, I mean I've got the these two these couple of things that are coming out in the next couple of months, and um, hopefully those will. Those will inform what my next things are. Um, and other than that, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm making things and creating things because I've got the time to do it. And then, um, and I've been developing some projects that are too early to to really speak of, um, And, uh, but just getting them ready so that as soon as there's a light at the end of the tunnel that uh, I can drive a Mack truck through them.
2: Cool.
0: Well, we really appreciate you taking time with us today, AJ. Um, Thank you so much. Some great um, insight and some amazing projects. And we wish you the very best as always, but um, we will be um, following up with you to make sure we have the information about Magnolia's Hope and share your your, uh, cross country adventure time which um we'll be watching as well and sharing
1: thank you and if i mean anybody out there has any questions or anything like that i i I definitely respond to dms on on twitter at aj tesler so you know feel free to slide into your dms just slide right in it's all good (laughs) it's all good um so uh you know i'm happy to continue to help and i really appreciate you guys having me on
0: yeah no we appreciate you thank you and press the right button thank you for joining us for interview series rcr's in the room with you can find us on red carpet report on youtube and your favorite podcast platform follow us on twitter at rcr news media and red carpet report on instagram you can also follow jordan on the new mexico women in film instagram at nmwif so till next time Thanks for joining us and be sure to like, share, and have a great day. Take care. Thanks.